Hi, I'm Jacqueline Ferber with 10 Over 10, and I am a co-founder and creative director with 10 Over 10. Hi there, I'm Adair Ilyinski, one of the co-founders of 10 Over 10. And what we love about beauty is that it's a way for people to connect. Beauty offers rituals we can all share in and bond over. From New York City, you're listening to Beauty Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the beauty industry. Hi, and welcome to Beauty Is Your Business. I'm Denise Dente, your co-host for today, and I'm here with my business partner, colleague, friend, Jessica Quick. Hi, Jessica. Hey, Denise. And we have two lovely ladies here from 10 Over 10, and we're super excited to talk with you because 10 Over 10 has really been on the forefront of this nail healthcare wellness momentum that we're starting to see in the nail category. And so we're really anxious to talk with you about that today. Welcome, Jacqueline and Adair. Thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. So we'd love to start off with a little bit about 10 over 10 and what you all are doing and how you started your journey, because it is quite interesting that you have both a professional side of your business with nail salons and then the brand itself. So tell us a little bit about that journey. Sure, I'll start. Our journey began, I guess, probably in 2009, Nadine, who is our third partner and spoiler alert is also Jacqueline's sister and I have been longtime friends and we used to get our nails done together kind of casually I wouldn't say we were nail obsessed but just like all good New Yorkers we would get you know manicures together after work and we used to kind of have fun during our services by brainstorming how we would make a better nail salon experience. I think we were just so stumped because as New Yorkers, we're all so sensitive to kind of like aesthetics. And, you know, we would go to these beautiful restaurants and shops, coffee shops, you know, all of a sudden, all these artisanal coffee shops were popping up and we would just leave scratching our heads. Why were we all okay just going to like the corner nail salon that was wholly uninspiring, you know, fluorescent lighting, hygiene was questionable, all those things. And so we would pass the time. I think we're both Nadine was an entrepreneur at the time and we both have that spirit. So it also was kind of fun. I'm sure entrepreneurs out there will recognize this, (laughs) but we would just have fun with kind of thinking about like, what would we do differently? Our technicians would all wear uniforms and we would have an online booking system and all of these kind of like ideas, how we would elevate the experience. We did not think we would be the ones opening this fantasy nail salon. It was more like, what would one do? And then the more we talked about the idea, the more compelling it really seemed. And so one evening over a glass of wine, we just decided, you know, we're going to open a nicer nail salon. Obviously, ignorance is bliss. We were really young then. And 
although we both really enjoyed what we were doing career-wise, I think we really just felt the idea again was so compelling that we kind of, once we thought of that, we couldn't turn back. So we opened our first salon in 2010 in Tribeca in downtown Manhattan. And we both lived in the neighborhood, which was very convenient. And it's also a wonderful neighborhood, very supportive of small business. So we were kind of like busy right from day one. And then soon after we opened the nail salon, Nadine had a baby. And we really started thinking about ingredients, our cleaning supplies that we were using at home, obviously foods that we were eating that she was feeding her oldest, Zoe Lee, and then, of course, the ingredients that were in our beauty products. So non-toxic actually wasn't really part of the original salon mission, But we were spending so much time at the salon, and it was really a part of the conversation that we were just having in every facet of our lives that, of course, it spilled over to the salon. And really soon after, we started realizing, okay, we don't want to have any products at the salon that have formaldehyde in them, what's in the back bar, products that we're using in services. And that's when Jacqueline stepped in, and we realized, you know, we, are around nail polish all the time. We really want to create our own. And the idea was kind of that we wanted something that, of course, was non-toxic, but was aesthetically in line with what we really liked. And so many of the better for you polish brands at the time had that little bit more like crunchy granola Like a lot of the tops were made of like cork and, you know, it just didn't like match the vibe of the salon or our clientele. So we wanted to make a really chic, cleaner polish line. And the idea wasn't really to retail it so much. I mean, we sold it from the salons, but it was really to support the salon. So it was still like the salon was our focus. And that was kind of like an enhancement to the salon. Obviously, things have changed. And I'll pass the baton to Jacqueline, because this is where she really shined and helped us so much. (laughs) I was on a very different path. And I came from a fashion background, but I had been in production. And so I guess Nadine and Adair's were like, well, who could figure this out, right? It wasn't in a beauty lane, that's for sure. Um, Not at least in a business sense, certainly in my personal life to some degree. But I think because I came from a fashion background and I had been in production and development, they thought maybe let's just ping this off Jacqueline and see what happens. And at first I thought to myself, sure, why not? I'll just like, we'll do a few colors. And, you know, and then I started meeting with these factories. And like Adair said, at the time over 10 years ago, when you were asking them not to put certain things in the polish, you got a little more pushback, right? There was resistance. It's like, do you drink out of an aluminum can? And it was like, sometimes, but in my polish, I would like to stay in this lane. And, you know, so it was a little bit harder to sort of find the right partner who would really subscribe to what we were trying to do. Also understanding that whilst we wanted to be in a more non-toxic space, that nail polish in and of itself is a solvent-based chemical product. So there were limitations to what we could do, but we put our best foot forward and found a partner locally in Los Angeles that again, at the start, you're also going, I can't make 5,000 pieces. You know, we just didn't even know we were going to put them on the shelf for service. And 
this partner was just, and still to this day is who we've manufactured with from day one. So that's always challenging. You never know how those relationships are going to pan out or evolve, but they have been really instrumental in our partnership and made super low minimums for us. So we could really sort of almost explore and test. And so we would look at the salons as like a lab where we could see what colors people were, what was resonating with people. We sort of have this amazing focus group on hand. So, you know, I think that's where from the start to today, the salons and the product really, the fact that we have both, you know, dual channels that we can bounce off each other and learn from each other has been so instrumental in our ideation process and our R&D on the product side. And so cut back to, I come from a fine arts background. I went to Parsons and on a fine arts portfolio. So I would sit with a palette knife and like mix colors to find like the most beautiful, you know, I mean, it was ridiculous. It was like, I was mixing acrylics and doing like these gradation sheets on scales. Cause I thought that's how I have to present, you know, and I would go to the factory and they'd say, so that's like SE blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, no, no, but this is not, this has a slightly more pink hue to it. Cause they were like, you could just bring in like a swatch of anything. But I was like mixing like a fine artist to get these colors but that is sort of where it started. And, you know, we started making these low minimums. We did six colors, named them all after New York streets because it was like the heartbeat of the business, you know, Nadine and Adair. And, and I used to live in New York. And it just felt like that was in keeping again with the personality of what we were creating. You know, by the third round of colors, I stopped mixing them with a palette knife and got a little more efficient <laughs> in, the way I, in the way I processed color, at least. So, you know, that was good. That got easier. From there... The color, I think, I don't know, Adair, what you would say about how many years, but it was quite a few years that it was really just color. And we would do like a base and a top coat. And it was really focused on what the salon needed in that, just in that lane. And then, of course, that opened us up to what is the brand more holistically? Like, where do we go with this for the product? Like, where does this, is it body? Is it, you know, there's all these things that ruminate around about like, what lane do you take? And it's an interesting question, I find, because you can't be everything to everybody, yet you have to expand, right? So you sort of have this like push and pull about how you identify yourself. And then at the same time, how do we be malleable that if that doesn't work, we're able to pivot, right? And we can sort of explore. And so we started really ideating on treatment. So it was like, let's get deeper. Let's get a level down, right? Like, what is the base coat that's really going to be cleaner? Because even if you're using a polish that's still hopefully not, has formaldehyde in it. It's rare now, I think, <laughs> hopefully, finally. But if you can just take a clean base coat with you, right? Or if you can use a cuticle oil that isn't solvent-based, that you can is really truly a pure cuticle oil because a lot of the treatments were still living in chemical solvents. And we felt and have felt from early on that we could still create a really efficacious product that really functioned well and still had the integrity of sort of this clean ethos that we were, you know, all adopting. So yeah, I mean, and then from there, we really didn't put for years any money into marketing for the products, you know, it was like a zero, zero dollar effort, because we were expanding the salons. And so we were sort of slowly organically rolling out product until as of recently, where we really sort of took a deep dive into the breadth of who we are. And again, it changed, it's changed significantly just in the past, since we rebranded in the past couple of years. But at the time, and I'm sure Dare can speak to this, you know, a lot of the focus was, okay, what's the next salon? And that the salon business takes up a huge amount of resources. And so the bandwidth was limited for the products. And yet the opportunity on the products was much bigger. So it was sort of an interesting thing. You're sort of on the train and you're doing the salons and they're great. And they create this brand 
identity that you can't, it's an experience. And yet at the same time, the op, there's a ceiling, right? And yet when you got the product, it feels like almost endless, but we didn't have the bandwidth to really lean into the product until COVID. And then that changed a lot of our business. So how did that change the business and how have you taken the approach and kind of transitioned it from the salon business into more of a product focus and more product distribution? Where are you at with that part? Like so many people in the world, COVID really changed everything for us. I think in a matter of two weeks, we were laying off 160 plus employees, which I think we're still processing. It was really traumatic, of course, as it was for everyone. And obviously, also just being in New York City, where COVID hit so hard so soon. And it was crazy. Like we went from kind of talking about we'd heard about it. And then it was getting a little hard to supply gloves and masks for the salons. We always used those in service. So we're very familiar with masks and gloves. And so we were kind of stressed about sourcing those to then fast forward and we're closing. And so I think it was definitely difficult emotionally, but the silver lining was that suddenly our online sales for nail care products just went through the roof. And, you know, that kind of kept us from completely crawling under the duvet cover because all of a sudden we were like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And we made up these little manicure and pedicure kits for our customers, literally using supplies that we had at the salons because there was such a demand from our customers who weren't doing their nails at home at all and were forced to, and they weren't branded, they were inexpensive, but just kind of making sure that we could give our customers what they needed in that time of need. And then once we had a little more space, we realized, you know what, this is our time, our opportunity to go all in on the product line. Yes, of course, financially, but also just the time and energy to do that. I think other service provider business owners will understand that when you have physical locations, especially in New York City, you are on call and there is like some sort of fire alarm all the time, sometimes real fires, sometimes just, you know, theoretical ones. But it was like, we just didn't really have time to focus on anything else because it was such a full on business. So when the salons were closed, I personally felt a little bit of guilt initially, because I felt like relief, like I didn't even realize that for 10 years, I truly had been on call, like I would never turn my phone off. You know, if I was having dinner with friends, it would always be on the table just in case there was, you know, a text or an issue from one of the six salons. And so once I didn't have that, I was kind of like, oh my gosh. And then the ideas, the creativity really comes back. And we worked with an amazing creative agency called The Outset out of LA, who Jacqueline found originally. And even though it is a big rebrand and it looks totally different, we kind of laugh because it's how we like always envisioned our brand in our heads. So when people are like, it's so different, we're like, it is. I think it's the brand that we wanted to have, but just because again, we were kind of piecemeal doing things we were never able to 
holistically really think about what's the message and the story that we're trying to tell. Yeah. Along the way, when you're rolling products out a couple of years at times, you know, sometimes there's more, sometimes it was less because we didn't have this holistic view. There were so many disconnects in just the aesthetics and it was painful. It was a huge pain point. And every time we'd start to unpack an issue in one product and we go, Oh, now we have to go back. And how are we going to fix it on that? Because now it doesn't connect. And, you know, it was this constant challenge. So we sort of just like wiped the chalkboard clean. I'm actually remembering, Jack, when you said that it was Linda, who's the founder of The Outset, who finally said to us, I feel guilty doing any more one-off projects. You're going to end up spending, you know, 10x in the long run than if we truly just do a soup to nuts examination of the brand I'm forgetting that she was really the one that like stepped in (laughs) yeah she definitely pushed us to really take a step back and go okay what do we want out of this like what is this going to look like in the end and what's the bigger picture and we realized that I mean we always knew it needed it but I think then when we saw it come to fruition which took I don't know what day was it a year and a half something like that you know I mean and then when we started to see it all come together and you see it sort of not being looked at as like this product, that product, but just this overarching brand look and feel and tying into the experience of the salons. There was a disconnect even between the forward face of the salon and the forward face of the product. They weren't really that synergistic. It was almost like people looked at the website like it was just it was the same brand, but it was like it sort of seemed like a different brand than what you felt like in the salon. It was so the salon was a little bit more androgynous and sort of like a very chic living room. And then some of our products sort of felt softer and some of it felt like mm-hmm. it was never sort of girly, but it just again, it was just disjointed. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think now we have a very clear point of view. And it took us a long time, though. That took us over 10 years. Even though in our heads, like Adair said, we knew it, it wasn't exactly being communicated. It's not always out the gates. It's not always out the gates that you sort of get it, you know, and you have to move. You have to be able to, like, put your ego aside sometimes and go, okay, like, I thought that that was working and that's not working. And part of having two incredible partners and other founders is that we have so much respect for each other that us also helped us along the way because we really are open and push each other to pivot. That's a huge honor, I feel like, for myself, and I believe so for my partners, that we have so much respect and yet, I don't know, sort of can call each other out when we need to and really like move forward with what's best. And I find that fascinating with Noah, with Denise and I, that with our clients, you know, we talk about this a lot, where you start as a company and a brand, especially with a product line, and where you are two years later is almost never the same. And I think the point you touch on too is that you get out into the market and you think this is working or you love it because it's something that you found that resonated with you, but the marketplace isn't finding that. And so you do adjust and you either change messaging, change creative, adjust, or you die. I mean, that's where we see really great brands suddenly don't exist anymore. So I absolutely applaud you guys. I mean, a decade is a long time, you know, to be out there and to really know and to be able to continue to pivot and change says a lot. The core entrepreneurial spirit that you have, that you are still in there every day, okay with change. And it's also in a decade, so much changes, right? So it's like you might personally envision something different, Mm -hmm. but 
you know, we all know the sustainability has come into play in a very different way. Social media, oh. the skinification concept that's really alive and well right now. Yeah. The way manufacturing now, we've got supply demand chain issues all over the place. So sometimes you're forced to, it's out of your control. So if I think if you right. don't learn to sort of like lean into the obstacle and go, okay, it's the opportunity, then you really end up paralyzed. Or like you're saying, Jessica, it sort of, it stops you dead in your tracks. And and also we want to constantly be evolving. Just because a formula was great five years ago doesn't mean if there's something new and better that we shouldn't reformulate, even though that means you're faced with maybe scrapping tubes or boxes or having to go through new R&D or compatibility testing. I mean, it's exhausting when you sort of go, oh gosh, I got to do that again, but it's out there and people like it. Should I just leave it alone? And then you go, no, because I want to come from a place where like, I want to put the best foot forward always for today. So I've got to do it. So, you know, again, 10 years ago, we weren't seeing the availability on RAWs that we see now with the practices that we believe in. And now it's amazing. It's great. And I think there's so much more to come. You know, for me, I didn't come from a beauty background. So for me, even in that, I think that I need to learn. So like, I need to know Mm -hmm. so that I can continually work with our chemist and go, okay, I want this natural, but that preservative is going to give me this shelf life. And this preservative is, you know, it's not as clean, but it's going to give me that shelf life and it's still non-toxic. So where do I make the decisions for the integrity of sort of like to keep the product from going rancid or are all preservatives? Like, no, I don't believe they are. What's the trade-off? What's the trade-off? Right? There's all these decisions that have to be made. You mentioned the word skinification, and literally it's the second time now in a week because Denise just got back from Bologna Cosmoprof, and one of the things she was telling me that she saw wildly all over the place was this idea of skinification. Of We saw it with hair, and now we're seeing it with hands and feet and nails, and 10 over 10 is definitely leading that. So would love to dive into what you guys are doing and how are you changing a consumer's idea about their hands, feet, and nails? I think we've moved, right? It was always the focus on the face and then it was the focus on the body and decolette. And it was like, we've sort of like been moving around and, and then the hair, I think is like you mentioned, has been huge. Hands and feet are interesting to me in terms of like, okay, well, why are you interested in hands and feet? But it's like, it's our most hard wearing parts of ourselves, right? And even if you talk about it simply from like a vanity perspective, okay, like hands, you know, even there, it's like, it's interesting because we all know, like, take care of your neck, take care of your hands, because we do all this stuff to our face, but then the telltale signs of aging, right, let's say. And so on a very sort of like top level, you can even look at it simply from like, you know, an aesthetic, like I want my skin to look healthier. But then on a very sort of self-care practice way, it's like, we are hard on our hands and our feet. Like, why shouldn't we sort of be indulgent? There's a ritual about it that's really beautiful. I think Adair's probably going to laugh at me. I get a little, like, storytelling in my narrative of what I envision product. But I'm like, we hold our babies. We, You know what I mean? Like, we feed ourselves. Like, it's really sort of a little emotionally attached. But I do think we've gone a little more inwards now, especially in the last couple of years. And I think that really informed a lot of our decisions in really thinking about the care part of it. And what are the things that really are at the base of what you really, again, we talked about, you know, you can sort of put band-aids on things and make them look pretty, but really underneath, like what's under there, you know? And it's sort of, again, I mean, I look at that metaphorically a little bit like, well, what's in your heart? You know, it's like take care of the base level things that really make you feel that are beautiful, that are really care, and then put the color on them. Because if you're doing that on top of something that's broken, eventually it just stays broken. You know, it's like, so many times I feel like people get attached to whether it's gels or, you know, whatever it is, which we have no judgment on any of it. 
But it's because like, well, but underneath, if I take them off, my nails are ravaged. And it was like, well, now you're stuck in a cycle. So how can we give you a way to pull back out of that if you want? And again, that's cuticle oils or hand lotions. So we've really shifted our train of thought into more of face grade skincare for your hands and your feet and really creating things that you use not a bottle, you know, we touched on this and, you know, it's not a bottle of nail polish that you have in your cupboard for 20 years. And then when you day you go, wow, that's been there for 20 years. I need to throw that out. It's something that you're repeat purchasing because it's like your deodorant. It's like your face wash. It's part of your care. And I think the sort of proof is in the pudding, right? It's like when you start using something that works, then you're like, oh, I didn't even realize I needed this. Or I didn't realize how much more improved, like I would feel if I really did this in a ritualistic way, because a cuticle oil works not if you use it once a week, right? You have to use these things and create these beautiful rituals and treatments, and then you get amazing results, and then you get hooked. So there's like a loyalty to it. So we really didn't want to just be, as much as we love the inclusivity also of this category, because it really doesn't matter what size, what you look like. It's not like, oh, this lipstick color doesn't look, like nail polish and care in this, you know, in this world makes anybody feel really good. So that's the other piece of it. You know, coming from fashion, that wasn't the case. So in beauty, again, it's like, you know, it's a way of expressing yourself on the outside, but it's also a way of sort of going inwards and making anybody feel good. So yeah, now we are very much more leaning into just the treatment and just the softness of it and just the underbelly of like, you know, sort of what feels good for your hands and your feet. And Nadine, we were laughing because we have this sleep mask, which is this overnight hand treatment. And Nadine was like, you guys are going to think I'm crazy, but it's got this beautiful applicator with like like antibacterial brush. She's like, I brush it on my neck at night. This is face grade hand care. So it's like, you can even do that. And we love that. You know, we love that that's where we've morphed because there's also much more opportunity as a business. I think also we have always been our own customers and just as the non-toxic mission kind of trickled into our business from our personal lives, we are not getting any younger we are 11 years older than when we started the business not me yeah (laughs) Jacqueline's always 29 but it's not about anti-aging but we're really starting to think about taking care of our hands you know it's not something that was maybe top of mind for us when we started our business I mean we were doing a lot of other things that weren't good for us in our 20s, including not using hand cream. But now it's really part of the conversation that's in our lives and it informs our business. So I think one of our commitments is less is more. And part of that is really making sure our products are solving a true problem, not just kind of like adding a product to add a product. But for us, this is something that we really wanted in our own lives. Again, spoiler alert, I don't even know if we're saying this, but we are introducing foot care soon. And one of our products that's part of that, Jack, and like made for me. So I'm really excited. But the point is really just like we are experiencing, I don't even want to say issues, but these sort of things that we want to treat. So we know there are others out there who want to treat them as well. And whenever we've kind of strayed from what we really want as a consumer, it's never been successful. So we know in our gut, we can really trust our guts as sort of our guiding light on these things. Yeah, but it's like you said, Jessica, we trust our gut and we think, but we still, until it's in the market, you know, you don't really know. And so 
as we embark deeper into foot care, we'll have to watch really carefully and see what happens. And, you know, we hope that it'll be a really beautiful, robust part of our business because we don't really feel like there's many people that are doing hand of foot care in the way that we are and certainly not in the treatment and certainly not with the aesthetic and with the sustainability and with the non-toxic piece. So we feel very confident, but again, you never know, you know, and so we'll hang on and then. And our treatments are always our best sellers. So that has been nice to see just because it's kind of confirmed the thesis for us. So with regards to the growth of 10 over 10, you've got salons, you've got product. From a distribution standpoint, what is your strategy to continue to grow your business? Are you going to grow into more salons? Are you looking to grow distribution of the products? Are you going to do more international things? What do you see for your growth plan now being you know, a decade or 10 or 11 years into this? We have one salon that's reopened. It's in the financial district. We love it. Our office is there and it's like our home away from home. It is really big, which is rare for New York real estate. So we have been able to safely socially distance our employees and customers. And that's how we've been able to reopen there. Even when Omicron hit us, we were able to stay open. So I think ideally we'd love to have a couple more salons, but we're not rushing to do that just because it is sort of an uncertain world for service right now, especially when you're in New York City. So yes, I think small salon expansion that really serve as flagships for our brand. It's a place we can meet people. We always have meetings over manicures. We rarely just have a meeting that does not involve a manicure. We don't even know how to do that. And then yes, a little bit of salon expansion, but really continuing to put the foot on the gas for our retail product. We're so excited to have our beautiful new website that we launched in October and really leaning in to D2C. With the treatment products, we're really seeing such a response to our site. I think for nail polish, that has always been a little bit more of an impulse buy. Our polish, we're at Target. They've been an amazing partner to us, and it's interesting to see what products do really well. Our rose polish remover is our top-selling SKU there. It's you know very utilitarian product, whereas on our website, that SKU does well, but people are really coming for like all of our offerings, which is exciting. It's less about what do I need right now to take my nail polish off or to what color do I want today because it's suddenly spring and more about our wide offering on D2C. And then, yes, continuing to grow our expansion. We just launched on anthropology.com and we'll be in anthropology <laughs> stores as well. So just finding the right fit with partners and we're excited to have Buzz help us with our international expansion. Just kidding, but hopefully not. <laughs> no, that sounds like an amazing opportunity. We'd love it. <laughs> <laughs> perfect, perfect. But we did it with the podcast. So yeah, I think that we kind of feel like the world is our oyster. We're really excited to just be on this journey with a product line. And we feel grateful to have our multi-channel business because, again, so many of our friends in the service business did have to close their businesses permanently after COVID. So every day, we just feel so grateful to be 
doing what we're doing and to have the opportunity to continue. Well, I have to say, we have really enjoyed meeting both of you, getting to know you. We knew the brand and then seeing the website. Anybody that's listening to this show, please go over to the new website. It's beautiful. The copywriting is well done. The imagery is beautiful. And the products obviously are fantastic as well. So congratulations on kind of continuing to evolve your business and what you've managed to do so far. And I'm sure that in the future, you're going to continue to be a big success. I know that we are fans and we really have loved having you on the show. We do know people may want to reach out to you. So what is the best way for them to reach out? Multiple ways. They can email us at e-nail at 10over10.com. Not to be confused with email. Also through Instagram, obviously. Our tag is at 10over10. So we can always, you know, DM through Instagram is also great. Well, we'd like to thank you so much for joining us today, ladies. And it has been great having you on the show. And we wish you much success as you grow 10 over 10. Thank you. Such a pleasure. This has been Beauty Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2021. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at beautyisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening.